Hey guys, and welcome to The One Up Project. We're simplifying all things finance and lifestyle in a relaxed environment. It's all just a bit of fun, so be sure to keep listening and let the content be a catalyst for your own self-improvement. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. Today I have Kale with me. Now Kale is a partner at K&J Growth and Rugby Bricks as well as an advisor and a member of a couple other things and I know you've got a lot of things going on so I'm excited to hear about all of it. Um, but first I guess I'll welcome you to the show and get you to explain a little bit about your day to day and how you would describe your job right now. So Kale, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. And uh, thank you for the intro and taking the time to research that. Um yeah, look, a little bit about me. Um, I run a couple of companies, just like you mentioned. One is called k Growth. The other is Rugby Bricks, which is an e-commerce brand. Um, and so across the two companies, one company, we've got a, a team of 16 staff, which is k And then Rugby Bricks is just a, a small e-commerce brand out of here in Dunedin, Otago. I'm talking to you from home um, in my sort of home office down here in Dunedin. Um, and day-to-day at the moment is a real mixture and range. Uh, I'm working on a few sort of big projects, one with Microsoft, one with uh, the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. Um, and then the other one too is just typically this time of the year in e-commerce. Um, you're selling and moving a lot of products. Um, and so mm. we've just come off the back of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But uh, if I was to give a very quick sort of brief overview, k is a digital marketing agency for lack of any sort of it is synonymous term and what we do on there is essentially companies come to us they need help advertising online and so that's typically what we'll do with them and then rugby bricks again it's just we sell rugby kicking tees i'm um, a whole lot of rugby paraphernalia alongside it yeah that's awesome and i feel like you've had a massive career so far and you're still really young so do you want to tell us a little bit about your upbringing and i suppose schooling life and did you go to uni and all the things like that mm. Uh, so I was born in Australia, um, so in Southport and Gold Coast, um, which is uh, my dad Māori, my mum is a Kiwi, but they both decided to have me an Aussie, which is sort of <laughs> stereotypical to be born in the Gold Coast, <laughs> um, but moved over to a place called Clyde um, when I was 10 years old, which is in central Otago, so uh, a very, very small town, I think maybe now like population of 1,200, grew up there um, and had a really incredible sort of uh, education and sort of childhood for the most part going to Dunson High School um, which is again it's an Otago place base I love it I haven't really moved or shifted too far away from Otago I ended up here uh, doing a diploma in personal training um, at the Otago Polytechnic went through from there um, tried to become a doctor at, at Otago University didn't quite work out ended up sort of studying some science papers for where it went through did the health side path ended up in my third year between looking into whether I was going to go into further study, try for the medical route, or um, take a gap year, end up in a startup called uh, Education Perfect, um, which is a pretty big company now here in Dunedin. Um, they sort of got 100 plus staff, and I was sort of one of the first 10 um, that came on board with that. Ended up going down the startup route. Loved it, which was pretty cool. Had a very, very interesting time learning what that was, seeing how the CEO and I guess probably to an extent some of the other owners of the business were able to one, work in the business, and they were really, really committed to it. Um, I would say that their lives were the business, but they were also uh, our age, right? Um, Craig, the CEO at the time, would have been, he's two years older than me. Um, and so when I joined, he would have been maybe 27 and you know running a multi-million dollar company and spending his time in the way that he wanted was very, very cool. Um, that he chose to do it in a business sense was quite good. 
Um, went from there, went into another job, pretty much had like, didn't get fired, but went in there with a relatively big ego as a managerial role um, and had the 90-day trial. And as an employer in New Zealand, you can get rid of people within 90 days. Um, mm. I was too much of a dick. And so essentially they were like, hey, you haven't quite got through your 90-day trial, which came as a massive shock to me. Um, at that point, I sort of looked, took stock of sort of where I was. I'd had sort of most of the, I guess, trappings of what would be um, a bit of an ego and then the other part of also sort of becoming more successful or at least what I perceived to be successful at that stage and time of my life. Um, then I had to really sort of do a full 180, uh, looked at sort of what, where my skill set lie. And one of the things that came out of it was like, okay, I'm slightly resourceful. I can produce in terms of I'm not a bad personal trainer, work with some good clients. I'll open a gym. So I opened a gym in Cromwell. We created a case study about how we opened it. We signed up a couple hundred members in 14 days. Um, in the back of renting out this, not even renting out, we said we went to a business with the local property devs who owned like a large business that was getting a lot of foot traffic. And we said, hey, we're actually not going to hire this or rent it from you, but can you give it to us for two weeks? And we're going to put some like pseudo gym equipment in here and then see if we can get people to come sign up against what the other local gym was. And so we did that, a relatively big case study that, Got a lot of traction, ended up in like Inc. Magazine, um, Forbes, got mentions across there. And then as a result, um, I ended up contracting. And so I had people like Snap Fitness and some people come in and say, hey, can you work with us? Can you consult on how we open the gyms? Ended up doing that, ended up going for a consulting gig in against the University of Delaware. Um, and so I lost to a guy named Jonathan Maxim, um, who at the time I jumped on a call with him after to explain, okay, hey, what happened? Um, and as a result, he turned out to be the partner at KJ Growth. So he and I decided, okay, cool, let's do it together. It's been four years since then. And here we are now in terms of um, worked with some clients, the biggest being TikTok in terms of doing the global scale at, at getting people into the app who are in my age group, 30 plus, through to uh, now Microsoft, New Zealand government and everything in between. Mm, that's awesome that's really interesting and how old were you when you were let go after the 90-day trial yeah I would have been what am I now one two three four 25 would have been just yeah yeah that's yeah. oh, interesting young. hearing that story because I feel you always know that's a thing like you can get let go within the 90-day trial but you don't hear many people actually going through that and then having to have a mindset shift after that happens because I suppose once that happened if you did go in with an ego you were probably instantly thinking oh shit you know how am I going to bring that down for the next time or <laughs> yeah. why did, what went wrong there yeah well that's it and so again like there was some of the low parts and then some of the highlight reel and what you had in there but um I think for most people and sort of your age group and mine to, to an extent as well is that um most of us are big on sort of being perceived in the right way mm. um and the fact that yeah. we look successful externally but for most part everyone's dealing with sort of just shit that you just cannot deal with or like that it's really, really hard internally. Mm. Um, so for the most part, it was me putting up a front in terms of saying, Hey, I look great. Um, and I think I'm great. And then it's pushing that out. And then it was really, look, how do I focus? It was at the time, how do I look, make Kale look more great. And if you're going to a managerial role where your goal is to help improve other people's working environment and get them to succeed, it's just the complete wrong attitude. Right. And so, to that point, I wouldn't say I was narcissistic, but I certainly had a lot of ego at this stage of my life um, and a reset around, hey, look, you know, 
you're nowhere near as good as what you think you are. You're only optimizing for yourself. And essentially, look, you can't even make it through 90 days of working here. Mm. We need to get rid of you. Like, <laughs> you just need to take stock at that point and be like, okay, cool. Yeah, I was definitely being a bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think got you to the point of having that ego? Like, do you reckon that was just like part of your personality or? Uh, look, I think if I, rich, retrospectively, I've done a lot of this work where I sort of journaled, uh, read a few books and that sort of stuff. It's having like mildly successful events, just consistently one after the other. Um, and the other part too, is that anything that I was doing at the time, I would probably make it seem way more exciting and way greater than the actual opportunity was. Right. And so I had this self-fulfilling narrative that like, I was just becoming greater and greater and greater. In reality, like these were just mild achievements throughout most of my life up until those points. Um, and I'd never had anyone correct me probably enough at that time and stage to say it. Um, and I also had enough bluster and probably arrogance to be like, <laughs> I'm as great as I think I am. And other people would perceive that. And when you're consistently doing that, you just create this narrative for yourself that like you're mm. awesome. And in reality, like <laughs> you've just done really, really sort of mediocre stuff. <laughs> it's just, you've got it right. And you've been lucky enough to get it right time and time again. And then as a result, once you actually have the hard stuff come up of like, you need to help or coach or lead other people when it's sort of put to the test, it was like, Oh fuck. Actually, most of it was just you puffing yourself up as opposed to actually any real success or achievement. Mm, yeah for sure and then taking it back from there a little bit like leaving school I feel can be mm. from that point onwards can be kind of a defining moment for young people in terms of what they think they're going to do and make their yep. career and how they're going to build their life so what was your approach to beginning your career then like did you put a lot of pressure on yourself to work it out no so I think this is the whole and something that I would say for most people at this sort of the young age is that similar to what I said to you at the beginning before we jumped on recording was that like, you've just got multiple time to go through and fuck everything up mm. and still get to my age and still reset and have like a relatively, what would be a normal lifestyle. And the fact that get a safe job, even get reeducated and be, you know, up until 35, 40 and still go through, accumulate the household debt, get a mortgage, do the sort of normal lifestyle stuff. And so me coming out, I genuinely thought like I would be super successful and go through it. But again, it was backed up on sort of bluster and self-importance. Um, and so literally I went to university. I chose a diploma in personal training because like stereotype, um, personal trainers probably get a little bit of slack. And certainly it's not the case for some of the industry now, but the, the stage of that time was like, hey, you just need to be fit and you need to have a basic understanding of anatomy and phys, uh, physiology. Mm. Um, and the coursework's not that hard. So essentially for me, it was like, cool, okay, I'm just going to carry on through um, do the relatively easiest path that suits me um, and look like I'm a standout in this small environment um, while I was still getting drunk, doing what I wanted and not having to work that hard. So mm. if I look back retrospectively, I had no plan um, <laughs> and I chose probably the path of least resistance. And that has taught me a few things around the fact that like most humans will follow the easiest path. Um, but the one that's usually the most rewarding is, doing the hardest stuff first because once you make hard choices life becomes a bit easier mm, totally and I think most of us will probably after leaving school for example have no idea what we're doing with no sort of plan but then a lot of the time yeah. I when I talk to people they like you would retrospectively look back and sort of see I guess the things that led up to where they are now so for mm. you growing up do you feel like you can now recognize what your strengths were or what you like have you always yeah. known sort of the things that 
was sort of pulling you towards the career you have now? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> and I do want to clarify this for anyone who's sort of lost or hears hear people like myself talking and they're like, oh my God, he's been in Forbes. He's got X, Y, and Z, seven figure businesses and they've got successful stuff. Um, most of that came from sorting my shit out and failing pretty hard, like harshly in terms of getting fired and that nine day mm. roll. Um, and I had to reset stuff because I grew up as much as I loved where I lived. I grew up in a very uh, low SES household. So low socioeconomic status. Uh, my mother, uh, great person but she was an alcoholic and at the stage of the time where she was going through a few mental health issues and some of the stuff around that um and we didn't have any sort of real money or assets and so as a result there wasn't much for me to model on um and so if i see some of the stuff that's allowed me to sort of go down the road i am now is that there's one the sense of sort of public services that i wouldn't want to repeat the uh, at home childhood that i had mm. um and then the second part is if I look at some of the stuff that I've developed now, which is largely self-awareness, um, work ethic, and then understanding and learning from other people. Um, and I'm a very, very big believer in that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, so surrounding yourself with people just way smarter than you. Very cool, obviously, with what you do in terms of getting podcasting and chatting to people. Um, a few tears up is that mm. those are the things I didn't have in my childhood. Um, and so if I was to look to model it back is that, okay, cool. What would it look like to some, a child who was in my position at that time with no access to tech, no laptop, no computer, even right through to the end of high school. Um, what would it be to change that sort of thing? So again, no real clear path at that stage. Um, and it came from sort of maybe a, not a lack of role models, but also, um, I was okay academically. And as a result, I was sort of able to piggyback on that sort of stuff. But again, like no real idea, probably up until those really early 20s when I was at Education Perfect. Yeah, I think it's really cool to hear those stories as well because um, sort of similar with Rebecca who we were talking about earlier, um, you know, as a kid, probably never thought that you could do what you're doing and couldn't really see your life developing in the way that it's developed, but it shows that it's possible. And I think something he always talks about, Rebecca is leaving breadcrumbs and I think a part of the value that you're giving as well is like leaving those sort of breadcrumbs for people who don't see that that sort of thing is possible. Um, but then, you know, there actually are so many opportunities out there for people. It doesn't matter where like you come from or how you've grown up or no matter what you can, there's always something that you can do or a, a skill that you have that you can use and those sorts of things. So I think those are really good stories to share as well. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with Robert on that that part is that like if you look at what he's sort of describing and saying there is that you know success is probably a matter of a combination of luck um and again if i can sort of i can tell for basically and anyone around the world you can have a look at is that you can tell the country that they're born in you can discern what um for 80 percent of those people what their average household income is right so we're lucky to already be in new zealand um and so speaking on that front we're incredibly lucky that we have the resources that we do but the things that come from that too that develop this is hard work, you know what I mean? And showing that the piece of, hey, you can have a skill set and you can still consistently pretty much get it wrong for a very long period of time and then apply a few of those things like hard work, hang around with the right people and dedicating your time to learning as opposed to leisure and set that example for others mm. and still know you can get it right. So for me, that that's a really big piece is that uh, being honest about the stuff in terms of like, hey, this wasn't an overnight success reel. 
the sort of stuff that you're getting from here is that it just takes time. It's persistence. And the last one is patience. Like, yeah, if you, if you said to me this, that like, this was going to be my life at 18, I'd probably say like, ah, no, fuck off. Like that's not even feasible. But yeah, (laughs) you think of the other flip side of this is that this stuff has happened in four years. But if you said that to someone who's listening now, who is limited and has very, very low resources, they want it tomorrow. Right. And it's still Mm -hmm. understanding that you've got to have a patience and then you still to consistently work and grind at this stuff for a relatively long time Mm, yeah I think that is a common misunderstanding because even when I chat to people on say the Instagram or whatever about um growing wealth or money related Mm. things and then comes to career it's always the main question is like okay how can I do this the quickest with the least amount of effort and I feel like a lot of the time it's actually got to come back even further than that to the mindset around it and have that patience piece as well yeah Massively, right? Because as much as what it is, like you, I could say right now, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a Forbes council member. It's nominated for Forbes under 30, 30 under 30. Uh, I work with companies like TikTok, Microsoft, uh, and I've got a team of 16 and I get to work wherever I want, wherever in the world. All of those things are true, but the multiple iterations and failures and learnings were roughly around about five years to get here, right? Mm. Um, and this is that key piece that no one understands is that everyone wants that piece right now, but consistency of just saying, Hey, knowing that you can pretty much try a lot and fail and have to learn from those. There was three years where like none of that stuff was happening. And it was like, cool. It's quite hard to pay rent or (laughs) I literally am in negative money and I have debt owing to a lot of people. You know what I mean? That's the reality of some of the stuff is that it's going to require time. Um, it's going to require patience. And then it's literally just test and learn along the way. And as you get slowly better, those learnings then develop into sort of exponential returns down the road. And that's the same with saving, right? Is that if you look at any form of investing, is that it's typically just continuous increments of like better knowledge and where to put your money that Mm -hmm. then obviously tenfold later. But that story is that everyone hears the tip of the iceberg point of that, like, oh my God, there's success point. But the whole piece of leading up to that was 10 years of just, consistent savings and being turning up and showing up yeah totally like um especially around the piece around being in debt or um not making any progress or feeling like you're not really making any progress you know those sort of times could last years and you'll just be sort of sitting in what feels like a slump um and then you've just got to like actually ride that out to get to where you want to go so I I think that's really interesting and so moving on to a bit about the business journey itself do you want to tell us a little bit around say K&J growth and rugby bricks and what those are and how what your um I suppose position and value is in them yeah so I think of most of the stuff and the way that even if I look at my decision making is like it's treating yourself like a business and so my position within the business is that I have a same amount of time as you do every day um, and then it's how do I generate and allocate my time which is my non-renewable resource to then get the highest return on investment right and so every year for each of these companies and that I look at some of the specifics that when I started off is I was basically trying to do a lot of stuff, um, but I wasn't tracking the results, right? So when K&J started, any client would be a great client. Whereas now, if I look at what I want to do, is like, okay, cool, clients are coming to us. How do I choose the ones that are going to bring, bring the greatest ROI for the time spent on them? And so for me and both the businesses is that getting to a seven-figure mark has actually been an understanding now of better of like, 
what does it look like to track my time um, and understanding like a minute spent on maybe trying to grow my audience on Instagram is not the same as a minute spent on going through and jumping on a call with you, right? Because if I do this difference now is like, if I could post and I haven't posted on Instagram for, I don't know, over a year now, but a minute with you is that I get immediate access to your audience, right? And so mm-hmm. all of the decisions that you make as like a founder is that you have this limited resource time and then how do you allocate it so that you get the biggest ROI? And so that's this piece, right? Is understanding that from the start was is a really, really pivotal thing because if you don't, you're going to consistently just keep repeating the same mistakes without learning from them. Um, and that's what I pretty much did for two years um, <laughs> in both businesses. Wow. And so mm. I guess on that as well, how did you keep the consistency and the drive? Because I think a lot of people talk about motivation, but then a lot of the time it's actually more the discipline that keeps you going. So what are your thoughts around that and how have you kept consistent? Yeah, so... One of the things I'm really, really big on and an advocate for is uh, reading a lot. I just read a shit ton um, and try and read outside of what the normal, uh, I guess, typical business sector is. Um, And then the other part is just staying away from social media and possibly changing Mm. your friend groups. So Mm. um, the best thing when you're starting out and the scariest thing too is you have the opportunity to reset who you want to be friends with um, or who you want to spend your time with, right? And for the most part, if you want to live an atypical life, then you shouldn't be hanging around with people living normal lives because essentially you're just going to copy their habits. And similar to what I said earlier is that you're the average of those five people you spend the most time with. If you spend your time with people who do normal stuff, you're going to repeat and keep doing normal stuff. So one of the things that you sort of, when you're starting out in this position is who are the people that are doing really, really different stuff? How do I spend more time with them? And then how do I adopt the same habits as them? Right. And so for me, it was really smart. People said that they track their time. Um, and I use a tool like literally right now, toggle.com that is tracking what this, like this call. Um, and it's got a literally minute timer for what I send it. And then I'm seeing at the end of this, what the ROI of that will be. Right. So I know how I spent my day and I'll do a daily review but I learned that from someone else, right? And so this core piece of actually starting out as being consistent is knowing that that's a habit that I've adopted from someone else. And then the sort of basics of meditating, journaling, um, and then hanging around with people who want to do the same stuff. How do I get richer? How do I actually become more efficient with my time? How do I actually increase the sales in my business, right? And so that's the part for those sort of two years is though, even though you're flailing, it's adopting the habits of successful people, understanding that eventually some of the things that they've got will become the habits and the success they have will become yours if you adopt similar frameworks to them. Mm, I think that is so important around spending time with different, like the people who are doing the things that you want to do and learning off them because so many people will take advice off people living a life that they would never want to live. And I don't know why you would, you would do that. <laughs> yeah. So, and that, yeah, for sure. That's a really key part. And this is the hardest part. I think initially what you're doing when you start any form of business entrepreneurship, or even just changing the way you do your saving habits or spend your time is that it's saying, Hey, I'm going to change my beliefs from the majority of the people that I spend my time around. And what I'm going to do when I'm doing that is I'm putting sort of tying my personality to the success of that change in thought. Right. And so if it fails, you look like a dick in front of your peers. Um, But if you've changed your peers, then you have similar matching beliefs and then it's not as hard to deal with that failure. 
Mm. Yeah, that's almost how I feel around like leaving my job and that kind of thing. It's a little bit well different to what a normal person would do, leaving a grad role only nine months into receiving it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and you would got so much shit for it too. Like the imaginal social yeah. stigma, like you must have had to deal with is unreal right and taking that burden on at 22 like congratulations because I was way too self-conscious and way more worried about what people thought of me than I would have been able to make a call like that Mm, thank you I think it's like honestly goes back to what you said around the people you listen to and spend your time with I mean I've had the privilege of being able to interview so many people that I would consider as a success and who've done things like this taken risks and I think that has rubbed off on me to the point where taking a risk like that although would receive criticism is an easy decision because I know at the end of the day I need to take a risk like that to get where I want to go and that's as a result of hearing other people's journeys having done the same thing so I think mm. it's really important no no I think and I, I do I want if I mean and seeing how many people listen to this and that sort of thing is that just reiterating that like it is Changing who you hang out with is probably one of the biggest things of how you sort of become more successful because if you, it's really, really, really easy for humans to go back to the path of least resistance um, because that's just our default, right? Our whole body biologically is geared for that, right? The reason that, you know, is if you stop exercising and your body begins to lose muscles because it's part of energy conservation, your body literally just wants to retain muscle mass is like metabolically expensive. And so your body is finding like the most efficient way to do it. And it's also the easiest way. Right. And so our brains are also geared to the same way and human beings just naturally are lazy. So you're typically just going to fall into the same habits that you had beforehand. So I think um, again, kudos to you. Cause that's a really, really, uh, I think incredible choice at 22. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like I was saying before, I'm definitely not sure exactly where I'm going but um, I know that it's a necessary part of it so appreciate that Um, and then I also wanted to mention that you sort of touched on it before but you've worked with some really cool recognizable businesses that we would know like TikTok and Boss Babe um, Mm. which is now massive so what are some takeaways from those experiences? Yeah so I think um, and luckily enough in terms of I fall into owning a marketing agency Um, Mm. and as a result, when you're doing marketing for other people, you get the cultures of other companies, right? And so I'll jump on the boss babe first because, uh, the founders, Natalie and Danielle, um, are both really incredible people, Mm. but I was the editor there. Um, and one of the things that I think, and one of the things I try and spend my time doing is how do I probably help people that are, um, I guess not in sort of underprivileged situations, but definitely, uh, not the majority, right? And so for female entrepreneurs, in terms of total CEOs, like the disproportionate amount of male to female is really, really large. Um, I'm big in some of the things that come with, I guess, the understanding of feminism. Um, and for me, understanding that, like having a single mum, is that if something like Boss Babe had existed for her, she had always wanted to start her own business and start her own cafe, that having a resource like that would have been really, really great because I think it probably would have shown her a quicker pathway to possibly mm-hmm. be successful, right? Because... Boss Babe is a really incredible example of that. Like, hey, there's a group collective of women who have the same beliefs um, and you can find the people who are in your network and your external network share those, right? And so Boss Babe is just built a collective of incredible female entrepreneurs. And so taking on that role, I jumped onto that for free. So I messaged Natalie and Danielle and I was like, hey, I think what you guys need to do is start a blog. 
I think you need to do it X, Y, and Z. I pitched them a full business plan. I said, I'll do it for free um, right. on the experience of that. It would look like one, I get to uh, go into a situation where I'm going to be pretty uncomfortable. Um, every single one of my writers was female. Um, and so to understand, I think for me at that stage of like, what does it look like to be a female in business? I also had to expose myself to a lot of them. Um, and mm -hmm. two, writing is a skill that I think is transferable across any sort of industry. And it's something that I really wanted to sharpen my axe with. And so to do that, I picked up the role of editor, um, picked up a writing coach, and then met some really, really incredible females. Um, and from there, that role in itself is that they're an incredible household brand name is because they're talking about the same belief systems that a lot of females wish they had or want to have. Right. And so when you've got that great collective, you're going to get that type of work. And for me, that was a really, really powerful experience of that. Uh, females typically still are undervalued in the market. Um, but there's also a, just a huge amount of sort of to an extent and not nowhere near as much as there used to be, but um, misrepresentation of males over females. And so understanding that struggle with journey and getting actually helping to write and produce content that was great for females was awesome for me. So I think speaking to that, that's probably the best part about Boss Babe. And then, like I said, the other part with K&J is that you get exposure to other people's companies, right? And so this thing here of working with companies like TikTok, understanding the culture behind Microsoft, um, each of these companies move in really, really distinct and different ways. Um, and a really great example of TikTok is that every two months, that entire company's one purpose and metric and goal changes. And so working with them was incredible in the fact that when we first came on board, they were like, hey, what we want is uh, downloads and installs and people that are over 18 and we need to get into a market of making this product and app used for someone who was in my age group, right? At that stage, I would have been uh, 29. And so what they were doing is they were like, hey, this, this has only been used by kids. We need to change that and we need to get installs. And so for two months, we did that literally and the end of that two months, the whole company was like, okay, cool. We're now getting uh, dangers of child abuse. We need to change the entire perception of the company. We're focusing on PR. If you can't help us with this, we don't want to work with you. <laughs> and wow. so, yeah, right. And that's the type of stuff though, but understanding like, okay, cool. An organization like ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok with a thousand plus employees is able to shift its entire focus that in every person working in the company moves that quickly in two months and consistently changes like that really incredible right um and so i think those are the two core benefits that i look at is that one taking on a role for free to understand a group of people that you really want to help um was really really powerful um and then the second part within k and j and the still things that we're getting exposure to is that once you choose to work with other people and i was lucky enough to get paid for this you also get to see the way that they operate um and when you see how high efficient and how highly efficient some operations can be and how quickly some of them can move you just can take some of the best parts of those and then apply that to your own business. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. I suppose you've contributed to quite a few different businesses and brand success. And I wanted to chat about your own personal success and what that means to you and how you would practice self-development for like contributing to your own definition of what success is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think success is just being able to choose what you do with your time more learning, Right. And so for the majority of people is that they have multiple resources and levers they can pull, right? And so resources that we all have are time. Uh, most of us have the resource of money to an extent. Um, and so 
the other piece of like looking at this and is sort of the choices you have, right? And do you have an infinite amount of choices, uh, sorry, a finite amount of choices you can make per day? And so each of those resources have sort of different amounts of things and leverage that they have on your life, right? And so success for me is just being able to choose how I spend my time um, and the projects that I want. For most people, most people can't choose how they spend their time because they don't have enough of the resource money, right? Mm. And so when I look at my own success and again, I do believe it's very, very subjective. You should not be listening to other people's forms of success for other people. And some, some friends I've got who like for them, it's just owning an incredibly expensive, you know, sports car or owning multiples of those. For me, that's not my form of success, but it doesn't really matter. But choosing and defining that's is a really, really important piece at the start. So I'll say that. And the fact that my success is definitely not yours um, Mm. and going and understanding that from the beginning. But if I look at what I've been able to do and in the time frame that I have comes back to a few things is just one, I've been relatively patient um, with the work I've been doing. Two, I've been consistent with the work that I've been doing. So I've shown up, I've gone through and I go through it and I've been iterative in the way that I've learned about it. And the fact that each time I've tried something, I've failed, I've taken away a learning for that. And I'll go a little bit more micro into some of the habits that I've got daily that have helped. And so Mm. one of the things is just a great tool and resource that I picked up from a course that I did, which is called Six Figure Agency Accelerator. comes back to that time tracking. So literally right now uh, on my screen, I have like the bucket of time that I'm spending on, which is K&J, I've got this under what is called client services. And the reason I've got that is because I'm linking this back to a project that I'm working on, which is called Digital Boost, um, which you and I may chat about later. But the thing is, I'm like, cool, this podcast is in service of serving that client, but I'm tracking the amount of time that I'm spending on that. And so I do that with everything I do. Anytime I start a new task, I track it in toggle.com. Then at the end of my day, I have this thing, which is called a daily review. So it's a set of questions that I send myself every day that gets automated in Slack. So it says, hey, fill out this form. And then what I do is I look back at my day and I'm like, okay, cool. Did the tasks I work on today, were they the tasks only Kale could do or could I outsource them to someone else? So could have I paid someone else at a cheaper pay scale to do those tasks for me? And then the last part is I'll go through, look at that, make those calls. Um, And so understanding that like, each day is iterative in the fact that like I'm the only person who can jump on this podcast. I can't hire someone to do this for me. I couldn't send one of my mm. employees because you only want to talk to me. Right. So I have to understand that there's an ROI to that. And so tracking that and knowing what that looks like each day. And I'd say out of the core habits I have, it's that meditation each day is sort of, if I look at it, I meditate every morning. I did it before this and then not having my phone on. So my phone, no one can get a hold of me until probably 10 ish, 10 30 this morning. I just don't have that on. And then the last part's journaling. So atypical again, but not many males in their 30s probably journal. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's a <laughs> normal thing. And most Kiwi blokes, I'm like, I'll keep a journal. They'll sort of look at you like, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also think sometimes it can be, people think that journaling can be quite an effort, but I think it's part of like that habit practicing um, thing you were talking about. And yeah, just developing a habit around doing that. Mm, well, that's it. And so, each day, this is the thing too, like I'm very aware and that like meditation allows me to do this is that most of the shit that's going on in my head is just garbage. Eh? Like literally some of the thoughts that I've got, I wake up each morning, I'm like, what the fuck is this? So if I write it down, <laughs> yeah. like I'm just able to then have a track and dialogue and be a bit more clearer for showing up for things like this um, mm. and be a bit more acute and aware when I turn up to do the work that I'm doing each day is that 
I'm being really selective and understanding that, look, my time is the most valuable. And if I want to be working at a $500 an hour pay in time, what are the tasks that I'm doing that sit underneath that? And then who can I hire and outsource those things to? And so mm. my own success is looking at that as like each task of me scheduling social media, like literally going into something like Buffer and planning that, I can hire someone on something like Upwork, hire someone like a virtual assistant um, for $5 an hour and get mm. them to do that, right? And so if I'm working on tasks like that each day, I'm just not creating that much value for the company, for my employees. And then the other part too is just for myself. It's a real shit yeah. return on time. Yeah, totally. And I, the thing about your phone is quite interesting that no one can get in contact with you till 10, 10, 30. How, mm. Like what's your thinking behind that and why do you implement that in your day? Yeah, so I think um, one of the things that I was touching on earlier and some of the stuff that are the work that I do is that I don't have any social media on my phone. I don't get notifications. And the thing is, is that your phone is just a gateway for other people to get your attention. You know what I mean? Um, mm, if I'm definitely. waking up each morning and literally letting people text me, call me or do whatever they need, I have no ability to focus or think about what I actually need to do on the day. Right. And yeah. so my phone is just a gateway for them to get a hold of me. And yeah, I want people to call me, my friends, Fano, the people that I love, but more often than not, it's going to be an accountant, client, person that needs something from me right and if i have that coming in there's just fuck all chance that i can actually do the right things that are going to allow mm. me to be successful in the day right and so the, i'm really really big in terms of removing things like media i don't really watch the news i don't really pay attention to social media i have a thing on my facebook called kill news feed which is a chrome extension but just i don't see other people's news feeds um my Instagram, I don't have it installed on my phone. So the only way I can go on there is by jumping on my computer to do it. And that's just a pain in the ass because it sucks on there. Um, and the thing is with all of these things is that all of these apps, they're just other people's attempt at stealing your attention and then stealing your focus, right? And so if I can't focus on the things that are most important to me by jumping on these apps, having other people call me, by, abling, by not being able to read and learn, like essentially I'm just giving my time away. And mm. the thing is if someone and a very, very good analogy comes from a bit of stoicism, which is a personal philosophy that I have. Um, and all of us are really, really stingy with like in terms of having money. If, so you, if I said, you know, if I literally came and took $10 away from you, you would just, you might be pissed, maybe not 10 bucks, but a hundred, you'd definitely be pissed. Right. And so the thing is our time is probably the only re is the only resource we can't renew. We can get more money, Mm. but we can't get more time, right? And so all of these things like having my phone off, not having social media, getting to the ability to ignore and not having Slack open, not checking my emails until that time is that all of those are just stealing my time. And I need yeah. that time to turn up and be focused and be the best I can be. Yeah, I think that is a really, really good point. I've never actually heard anyone say it in that way in terms of like stealing money and stealing time putting that together but that makes so much sense and recently I'm sort of learning that too because I tried tried taking away my personal social media um mm. and just sort of having the one-up project social media and I found that so helpful just for clearing my head um yeah. like it just puts so much more time in my day to actually think about things that are going to help me rather than hinder me I mean yeah. just I feel like it they are trying to take your time away and they also keep, keep you zoning in on everyone else's life when you should just be focusing on your own life. So I resonate with that a lot. And it's so hard when you're young, I feel to think that, that forget you forget that there's actually a real life going on and you just get so zoned into these apps and caring about everyone else's life. 
Yeah, 100%, right? And this is the problem that I think with most of society right now is that mm. we have the inability, you can't be bored anymore, right? It's literally as soon as you get a flicker of boredom, you're like, fuck this, I'm getting on my phone. Yeah, <laughs> so true. I need to be distracted, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> the thing so with true. this is that it's really easy to look at other people's lives. It's really easy to judge someone's Facebook post and say, I want that. It's really mm. easy to be served an ad, read it, and then go to a website and say, that's something else I want. If you're not making those value decisions, you're not making those clear judgments for yourself of what you actually want, you're going to get served another ad by another company that's going to tell you this is what you want. And so yeah. the same thing with the news is that it's literally just saying, hey, I'm going to present to you the most clickbaity, the most intense emotional stuff that makes you invested in this so that mm. you feel upset. And then I've got your attention and you're going to carry on down this rabbit hole because each of these people are just monetizing your time. Yeah. More eyeballs that you have on their stuff, Facebook, Instagram, the news, they all make money by literally just selling advertisement. And so the more time you spend on their sites, the more money they make from you. And so it's really, really hard to unplug and then also stop caring about what your peers are doing. Mm. Because most of us are just are literally in this pissing contest of saying, am I on a relative success metric to my friend who's yep. just had this holiday in X, Y, and Z? And then as soon as you see that, it's like, oh, fuck, I want what that is. But yeah. you have no idea whether or not they sacrificed, went into massive debt, or actually had a shit time. They just mm. looked, took really one moment in time and then you're invested in that. And so for me, I don't have the willpower to literally go in and say, hmm, I can navigate between the good and the bad. I just don't, I don't really have that skill. So I just completely remove it at all costs. Yeah, no, I think that's really awesome. And this has been so great, Cal, but I quickly want to make sure that we touch on what digital boosters and um, all of that, because that sounds so interesting and I only know a very small amount about it. So yeah, I'll yeah. hand it over to you to explain a bit about that. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. And so um, very quickly on this, and uh, like I mentioned at the start, I'm doing some work with MB, so the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. Um, one of the things that came out of lockdown, um, and as you're a Kiwi, so you would have resonated with this, and is that people had a lot of time, um, but there was this huge sort of digital transformation in the fact that we couldn't really leave our houses. Um, and one of the things that came out of that is that the digital literacy of New Zealanders is pretty shit, right? Yeah. Like we're just not very good in terms of how to use a tool and automate our time, how to hire someone overseas, how to actually use social media. Um, we saw a lot of shitty social media posts come from a lot of crappy like from companies when they were like, oh my God, I need to go on social media. And it was a real horrific shit show in terms of way too much content, right? And yeah. the New Zealand government's identified this, they've looked at it. And the other thing that they've known is that our productivity, um, there's this thing called the OECD, which measures like productivity of countries around the world. We're really crappy. Like we rank, I think it's 21st in the entire world. And our productivity per person is getting worse, not better. And so, okay. yeah, there's this link to one. It's like Kiwis just don't know how to, most Kiwi businesses don't know how to set up a good digital media post, right? Typically someone in, who's over 35 who owns a business and that is the majority of business owners don't have a Facebook page, right? They're going to be too scared to sort of set this stuff up. And so the program that we're working with it's called Digital Boost, is just to increase the digital literacy of New Zealanders. It's a free course that will be hosted at digitalboost.co.nz where any business owner with a New Zealand business number can come and sign up um, and get literally like tailored education around, okay, cool, if I want to increase my uh, marketing, here's a course that will literally, once you've answered the questions, will be served to you and it's like, here's the best content to review that. And so it's got people mm -hmm. like myself presenting and teaching on it, but a large, probably the first time in a very long time is, Companies like Google, Microsoft, uh, Zero, 
and I, I know there's a huge amount of others and I feel bad and missing some of them, but they're all coming together and they're putting free resources for small businesses in New Zealand on this course. So you can get access to like a 90 day trial of Shopify where you can get cool. uh, 50% off zero, right? To increase the digital literacy of Kiwi. So it's a project that I'm working on at the moment and something that I'm pretty passionate about and the fact that I think New Zealand needs it and it'll probably help us sort of see some good, strong success metrics with as a country going forward. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. I feel like that is 100% something that lacks. I mean, I could think of like so many family businesses even that have never had a website, never had a Facebook page, just purely off sort of word of mouth. Um, But it would help so many people coming up, especially um, who want to get into business or start their own thing to have that knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. And that's the things like, you know, e-commerce, even understanding actually what is a website? How do I build it? How do I get a domain name? Like, how do I stop mm. sending, you know, fredsplumbers at gmail.com? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. Just small little bits like that that increase, you know, your perception as a really great business. Like all those little minor digital literacy things that for you and I are just day-to-day stuff. Mm. Um, it's sort of what we want to deliver for most Kiwi businesses. And for us, if we increase our digital presence as a company, as a country, we can then probably sort of start to increase revenues and profits of sort of Kiwi companies too. Exactly right. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kao. I've really appreciated having you on um, and just hearing your story. It's been awesome. So thank you so much. Uh, no, you're very welcome. And I do, uh, for anyone listening, I think, um, and who's young, you know, sub even 22 from that sort of age is that like what you're doing is very, very atypical, but it's a, it's a really, really cool thing. And so I think if you are someone who's considering this pathway or trying to have a look at this is that Sarah, you're a good person to follow. Um, and I do want to say congratulations on the work you've done. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you were able to take something valuable away. Um, be sure to subscribe and keep up with the socials for further episodes at The One Up Project. And I'll catch you on the next one.